This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in Teberg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight, I have back uh, Saxon. I I think tonight I definitely have to be Super Saxon Man. Well, I was just going to say, or better known as Super Saxon Man, thanks to our (laughs) next guest, uh, Mr. Matt Festa, who's the one who came up with that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Festa, who is uh, the one who did the artwork for my upcoming book, which is amazing. The the artwork. I'm not not sure about the book. not selling that at all. Huh? You're not overselling that artwork at all. Dude, that artwork is perfect. Dude, it's pretty like your your artwork is awesome. So I haven't seen what you've done for the book yet, but I uh, I know it's gonna be badass. Oh, Excuse me. You. It's gonna kick butt. <laughs> you can say ass, that's fine. Oh, okay. And, ass, uh, ass, ass. Go 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 look at Matt's stuff at TMAT's Garden on Instagram or Facebook. And for the I think only second time on Where Did the Road Go, we have Katie of the Night. Hello. And you can find her on YouTube under, I believe, Katie of the Night. That's correct. And uh, so you you and Matt are on The Last Exit a lot, so we have conversations there. But uh, I, I feel like you two also, you three, know me decently well to to do this sort of thing where uh, I was listening to Paratopia and Josh and, or Josh, Jeremy and uh, Jeff picked out like five or six questions for the other. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool idea. So I figured the three of you know me decently well to come up with potentially five or more interesting questions that we could turn into conversations. Absolutely. Okay. So let's see how this goes. And uh, Saxon, you were going to go first? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so because it's you, um, you know, I I have said, well, I've got a couple of questions that are a little fun mixed in Okay. uh, on top of, you know, the usual things we talk about on where did the road go? Um, so, you know, of the experiences that we've talked about on the show, um, uh, I would love to know if there's an experience that you would like to have, but, but here's the caveat that goes with that. You have to choose one pro wrestler to be with you at that time <laughs> to also have that experience with, <laughs> and who would you choose and how would it go down? Likely. Uh, huh. That's a really, it's kind of an interesting question, especially the first part. What kind of experience would I want to have? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. The couple of times I saw UFOs were pretty freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, so maybe another big UFO sighting, uh, like the one I saw over the lake, but longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what professional wrestler? Hmm. I mean, I, I, I feel like I would owe it to Chris Jericho because uh, uh-huh. he's really into that stuff. Uh, so, so maybe I'll go with Chris Jericho. Okay. Okay. I, you know, you answered that a lot quicker than I thought. Actually, I thought you might like ruminate over which wrestler it should be. 
Well, I mean, uh, he's not my favorite wrestler by any means, but I, 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 but I know he's very much into paranormal stuff. Yeah, yeah. Plus, he's okay. a metalhead, um, you know, and so I, I think it would be fair that he, he would be the one that would appreciate the experience that I'm aware of. Although there are, uh, oh, you know what? I, I, I could, I could maybe alter that because I got to find this here real quick. There's a couple of the women wrestlers in WWE that are now doing a paranormal show. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Shotzi and uh, I'm gonna find the link here. Here it is. It's uh oh, it's Carrying Cross, Scarlet, and Shotzi. Um, and I don't know what I'm gonna hit this and it's gonna make noise, but let's see. Uh, it's on. Oh, it's just under WWE's channel, I guess, on YouTube. Yeah, it says Carrying Cross, Scarlet, and Shotzi survived the gateway to hell at Bobby's Ma- Bob Bobby Mackey's Music World. So, but I think there's also, um, yeah, I think, okay. So it says, uh, the most haunted nightclub in America in the second installment of chamber of horrors. So this is just the, 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 what I have here is just the, uh, trailer for it. So on Peacock, they have chamber of horrors, which I think is Scarlet and Shotzi going out to different haunted locations. That's fun. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah. I just found a, a bloody disgusting article on it too, where they're going through it. Uh, some here. Uh, one of the locations that's been confirmed is Pennsylvania's Pinhurst Asylum. Yeah. Um, that sounds pretty fun. Interesting. And Shotzi seems very cool. So, so, so if not Jericho, then maybe Shotzi. Okay. Um, I don't know if if she's as much into UFOs and stuff. Soraya, you're missing an opportunity to encounter Bigfoot when you have a wrestler with you to help defend you against the Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe even get Bigfoot in a headlock. That that, that assumes the Bigfoot's hostile. That's fair. There there is, I don't know if any of you saw it, but back when they were doing the live Ghost Hunters ones on Halloween, one Halloween, it was when ECW was running on Sci-Fi, which also had Ghost Hunters. So they did a crossover where they allowed this one wrestler, and I cannot remember his name. Uh, he was walking through with them on some of the, where they were investigating on this live show. And something happened. He let out this high-pitched shriek and just took off. <laughs> that is awesome. And it was hilarious. It was like that was the best moment on Ghost Hunters ever. Because yeah. here's this tough, muscled-up guy, and then one creepy thing ha- happens, and he's out of there. I feel like if you had somebody like Mick Foley with you, and you ran into Sasquatch, like they might just like get like, oh, hey, and just start talking to each other, <laughs> and then go about their ways. I don't know. Just depends well, on who it is. When Soraya mentioned that he wanted to have the UFO encounter, I thought it would just be hilarious if he had like an old, you know, Space Brothers style encounter where the entity comes out just talking about, you know, peace, love and brotherhood and everything. But the entity is talking like Macho Man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. I wish I could do a Macho Man impersonation because I would do it right now. (laughs) Man, I'm trying to remember what the girl's name in AEW is who kind of has that gimmick like she's a she's from space like from the Pleiades or something. Uh it's Chris Stratlander, that's who it is. And uh I mean I don't know if she's into the stuff, but that's what it made me think of, like a contact E sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I recognize her now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, now it's stuck in my head too, Matt, cuz I'm hearing the macho man coming mm-hmm. out and like <laughs> Oh yeah, brother. We gotta watch out about all them nuclear weapons, brother. You know. <laughs> well, you know, death and and stuff. It all connects. I mean, you could be encountering the Macho Man on a spaceship. 
Uh, you could. You know what? If I end up getting abducted, that's what's going to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be your next ketamine trip. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Bigfoot oh. comes lumbering out of the woods and it's Andre the Giant. <laughs> well, see, that would be a comparable size. Wait, mm. but did he actually play the uh, Bigfoot in Six Million Dollar Man? Did he? Really? I did not know that. <laughs> I can be instant Googling. Vigorous typing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm typing in the background. I got to look it up. I Yeah, he did. Andre the Giant. He played uh, Bigfoot in the uh, Six Million Dollar Man. Huh. Well, that, that yeah. makes sense. I mean, if you saw a, a, a hairier Andre come out of the woods, you would definitely think Bigfoot. Well, and what's amazing about the costume is like they've got him in a fursuit up to the neck, but uh, his face and his beard and his hair, they might be appliances, but they just look like they colored his hair and beard uh, the same color as the fursuit. <laughs> I'm I mean, honestly it, impressed they just have a fursuit in his size. Well, right? I'm sure it was specially made. They probably had to kill a lot of uh, uh, synthetic bears to come up with that fursuit. <laughs> I mean, there's, bears. I, I don't think anyone made clothes in Andre the Giant's size ever. I mean, I'm sure everything had to be special made for him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop it in the chat. I, 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 I will say uh, one of my co-hosts on Last Exit worked at Domino's at one point, and they were going to order something uh, like outfit related or something, and he saw that they had a pair of uh, size 78 pants. Wow. And he's like, I'm ordering them. I don't care if I get in trouble. I'm ordering the size 78 pants. <laughs> and, uh, 78? 78. It's like a, so unless it's like a round bed sheet. Yeah. On last yeah. exit, we would have, uh, we would see how many people we could fit in the pants. Like bands would come up and we'd stick, we'd stick them all in the pants. Oh it's my like, gosh. It's like, can <laughs> so everyone fit in the pants? Are you going to? Huh? No, we did. We did. We did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, I think the most we ever fit in there was five people. I so. mean, that's kind of wild. Uh, I'm just thinking that like wearing like a parachute or something. Yes. Yes. I still have them. Next time you come back, I'll show you if you remind me, Saxon. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Katie. All right. I am ready. So here's my first question. Um, when I read Where the Footprints in Volume 2, there was a particular story in there that stuck with me. There was a witness who was out in the woods. I think they were actually looking for a Bigfoot, but this witness ended up getting a telepathic communication from Bigfoot, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And the voice said, don't waste your time looking for us. We show ourselves when we want to. So my question for you is, what do you make of this? message when it comes to interaction with or experience of the other i i, I think that's that falls into kripal's saying of it happens for a reason um mm. but yeah i mean i, I think that, that it definitely it doesn't give you what you want so going out looking for bigfoot you're unlikely you know you're unlikely to find anything that people haven't already found um which are the standard it's like ghost hunting you know you don't get anything really novel most of the time from ghost hunters yeah you get a lot of the same stuff so i think yeah they show us what what we what they want to show us and what they want to show us is what we need to see so you go out you go out bigfoot hunting and see a ufo you know or you know you uh you're looking for a ghost but uh, then you have a bigfoot encounter right yeah that bigfoot just kind of killed my hope <laughs> to see it's what? like it's basically like there's no point <laughs> Well, you know, uh, your time will come. 
the Survivor man, you know, ended up kind of doing that little bit of, uh, um, you know, special on uh, Bigfoot and stuff like that. But that was all born out of an interview he did where he got asked about Sasquatch and uh, he talked about mind speak or, or telepathy or whatever. And, um, you know, he was out somewhere. I forget where he even said, but, you know, by himself completely uh, in the wilderness, far away from everything, of course. And um, anyway, in his head, you know, he heard we're here. If you want to see us, you know, you have to go over this next hill and we'll, we'll wait for you to see us from there. Uh, something like that. And, yeah. you know, he responded like, well, uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. You I know, remember that. I read that, too. Yeah. It's so similar, isn't it, to the, mm-hmm. the circumstances in the book in a way um yeah i I don't know that's always been kind of fascinating to me because you know when i first heard that i probably had a a pretty strict flesh and blood concept of what bigfoot would be if it existed right uh as opposed to now where you know uh it's something (laughs) (laughs) you know but but i don't know if it's something that we can easily define it's just the experiences we have with it to go on um and so you know looking back on that from now it's like oh that does make a lot of sense you know if this is something that's choosing how it materializes to you and the experience that it wants to give you uh not what you want it to uh give you obviously um and the thing is like there would be there was a point in the past where if someone said they got a telepathic message from space aliens or bigfoot or something like that i'd just be like yeah okay and now it's kind of like oh no this stuff happens okay yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, it seems hokey and uh, in a way, you know, like if you asked me about all the old uh, contactees and things like that, I would be like, oh, they're, you know, those guys are just making stuff up. They're goofballs. And now, you know, it's like very much that this stuff does not behave in a way that we would consider rationally. And so it could be a completely misleading experience or something that we couldn't understand. Um, you know, I, I know we've talked offline a bit about the uh, encounters documentary, but they touch on that a little bit of how, you know, this, this sort of promises and, and things get made, but they're never fulfilled. And you yeah. don't quite know what that means, but the, just a trish, trickster aspect of this. Absolutely. Oh, and, and I Googled it real quick. The wrestler I was thinking of was Elijah Burke. Okay. It was back in like 2007. But there's a, when I was Googling this, there's a YouTube video of five wrestlers' paranormal experiences. Um, Kofi Kingston joins Ghost Hunters on Halloween. That was 2010. I didn't, I never saw that. Apparently Stone Cold Steve Austin did a few uh, uh, ghost hunting things, but it looks like they may have been his. Oh. CM Punk ruins an episode of Ghost Hunters. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Baron Corbin and Tyler Breeze get creeped out by ghost children. So apparently there's, there's a lot of interaction between wrestling and, uh, and the paranormal. That makes sense to me. Um, sorry, I'm talking so much tonight, by the way, guys, that's fine. Uh, You know, I mean, when your job is kayfabe, yeah. You know, you're in a liminal, you're in a super liminal space at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense to me that you would have some, some odd experiences and, you know, I, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, as a lot of these megastars have passed on, it's going to be interesting to see if people have encounters with their personas. Although the Macho Man would definitely be the most recognizable right off the bat. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. If you got a uh, telepathic message in uh, the Macho Man's voice. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to try for that next time. I'm just going to see if I can make it happen. I'll ask for it. <laughs> in your ketamine trip. <laughs> yes, yes. Next time I'm going to... Doing my ketamine therapy, I'll give it a shot. Hmm. I, I vaguely remember that story, Katie. That's 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 a good one. Yeah. All right, Matt, you're up. So yeah, I was actually talking with Katie about this before the show. Like 
every time when I'm listening to the show, I'll like immediately message you like a million questions. Mm -hmm. But the second I'm told to come up with a question, <laughs> it's like my brain goes completely smooth. You have like two weeks. I know. <laughs> so my first question, which I thought was going to be a good one, after I watched your update video, I don't know if I should even go with this question because it sounds like you're planning on maybe doing like an entire show about it sometime. That's all right. Like what I, what I was thinking was I wanted to get your thoughts on like, what are some of the things in the Seth material that you think are either wrong or just otherwise don't agree with? Ah, okay. So Ooh, I like that. what I liked about the Seth material was that Seth was pretty honest that what you were getting was a mix of what he was trying to communicate going through Jane as a filter. And you don't hear that from most, from most of these uh, channeled entities. It was one of the many things that you, that was different about Seth. Um, including the fact that Jane didn't know if Seth was an actual other entity or another part of her personality. Um, so like there was some religious things in there that I was kind of like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Like that, that mm -hmm. feels like maybe, she, you know, Jane's, even though I don't think Jane was particularly religious, I'm pretty sure she was brought up Christian. So I think some of that stuff got filtered through that way. Um, so that would have been one of the things I think in Seth speaks, she talks about like, uh, is it Jesus and two other individuals that were sharing a soul at the same time and that Jesus would come again and. Uh, the person who is going to be Jesus would be allow would allow people to know all their past lives, and thus yeah, I think like she mentions something like the second coming is supposed to happen like in the twenty seventies or something like that. I want to say she said that the person would be born in like twenty fifteen or something, but maybe maybe it's been a while since I read it. But like I just yeah. remember like that stuck out to me at the time when I was reading because like it was one of the few things that like gave like a specific time frame. Yeah, where, like so much of it is just like very general like philosophy whereas that is like an actual prediction yeah seth doesn't make a whole lot of predictions at all uh but the the idea of somebody that could reveal to you your past lives not with hypnosis or anything like you just encounter this person and you can remember all your past lives it would you know i, th I think the comment that that was made either by jane or, or seth is that it would eliminate things like racism sexism stuff like that because you would now remember being all those other people. Mm. It would make it very hard for you to hate on someone else when you realize, oh, I was once one of those other people. Right. Interesting. So that that would be the first thing that sticks out. There's I, The pro thing is I really didn't have a lot of stuff in the Seth material where I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't agree with that at all. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe not. But like so much of it is, I don't know, self-contained. You know, it's mm -hmm. like reading Patrick Harper's, uh, uh, yep. Demonic reality. Thank you. Like it may not be right, but I don't really have any real criticisms of it because self-contained, it all works. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not necessarily convinced that we live in a multiverse, but I also won't rule it out. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things Seth talked about is that we live in a multiverse. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think there was really anything. And yeah, I had looked specifically when I started reading it. Uh, I looked for stuff that was critical of it and couldn't find anything. The only thing I could find were like Christian sites saying that Seth was a demon and that he killed Jane and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, so the only criticisms are nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I did, yeah, I did find a, a paper and then lost it about uh, a critical look at the Seth material. And uh, I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I don't know if I'll do a show on it, but a few people have requested shows on Seth. Uh, I do have a book 
from one of the people who went to her classes. I think it's called The Road to Elmira oh, or wow. something like that. And it's a short book, okay. so I might contact them and see if they're willing to come on. I mean, Seth is one of those things where you've brought it up like a million times, yeah. but never actually done a, like a full show exploring it. Part of that's because I read so much of that stuff, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like I would need to reread it and take notes. And then it's yeah, you know, I, I could go both ways on that because if you have uh, the people that wrote the book on, they may give you perspective to go back and read it differently than you might now. True. true. So you know, it, it may make it fresh in different ways for you. Oh, it's not. It's uh, not that I don't want to reread it. It's that I don't have the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. I understand that. But no, I'm with Matt. I think it would be cool to do a show on it, but with those folks particularly, because that gives you a little bit of, you know, somebody that's had some, or some people have had some direct experience and material to talk about. When I started doing this show, I was like, wait, is Robert Butts still alive or husband? And I looked it up and it was like, oh, he died in 2009. Great. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they were in Elmira. That was only maybe a, an hour from me. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely would have gone down there and, and tried to get a, a, you know, contacted him and see if I could go down there and do an in-person interview. I thought, I think that would have been awesome. There was a few people I found out died when I went to look to see if I could do <laughs> interviews with them. Uh, the guy who wrote Maya, uh, The World is Virtual Reality, who was in Binghamton and was a Cornell graduate, uh, also co-authored Forbidden Archaeology with Michael Cremo. Uh, oh. Can't remember his name, something Thompson. I was like, oh, I totally want to have him on. And I looked it up and went, and he's dead. Okay. Well, because again, I figured this is great. This is someone local. Maybe I could do it in person. And then he wasn't around anymore. He had left his matrix. <laughs> That's actually a very good book, the the Maya uh virtual reality book. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just the world is virtual reality or something like that. It's, it's one of the many, you know, matrix like ideas, uh, but very well done. I really enjoyed his, his book. See, so is that Richard L. Thompson? Yes. Okay. That, that okay. is him. Oh, he has a, uh, he had a PhD in mathematics from Cornell Yeah, where he specialized in probability theory. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You see, I was like, oh, I need to have this guy on. I'm like, oh man. And what a, okay. You just, here's the, about the author on Amazon. Uh, Richard L. Thompson received his PhD in mathematics from Cornell University, where he specialized in probability theory and statistical mechanics. He has done research in quantum physics, mathematical biology, and remote sensing, and has extensively investigated ancient Indian cosmology and spiritual uh, spirituality. And it kind of goes on a little bit down from there. But uh, what a interesting perspective to have when you've got somebody couched in mathematics like that uh-huh. in mathematical biology. That's fascinating. All right. Uh, so I guess we're back to Saxon. Yeah. So, you know, talking about uh, uh, Thompson actually feeds in well for one of my questions. Um, Soraya, of the people that have contributed to research of the other written books, all of these things like that, who do you have an affinity for that's underappreciated and you wish more people were exposed to? Patrick Carper. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the first name that comes right to mind. Um, as well, uh, which, uh, yep. I mentioned him earlier. Um, who wrote, uh, with Whitley Strieber. <laughs> Thanks, oh, Brain. uh, Jeff Kripal? Jeff, yeah. Jeffrey Kripal. Definitely. Um, I mean, Strieber obviously has his, his fame and is appreciated for the stuff he's done as, as well as guys like Valet and, and John Keel. But yeah, I think, uh, Kripal, a lot of people just don't know about. Mm-hmm. And the same with uh, Patrick Harper, where the it, you know when I, like I said, when I, I've I've told this story before, when I contacted Patrick Harper originally, 
Um, you know, I said, I've never heard you on any other shows or anything. What, uh, you know, have you done other interviews? And he's like, no. And I was like, really? Well, why not? And he's like, no one's ever asked. And I found that amazing. I was just like, how has nobody ever asked you to do an interview? And it's because most people have not read the, and never even heard of them. Um, you could say the same about, um, uh, Hanson as well with the trickster and the paranormal. I mean, a lot of people do not know who George Hanson is and his work is important. I mean, all three of these guys have, have contributed a, a very interesting level of data to this stuff. And they're, you know, I think your average person into this stuff has never heard of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Hanson, Hanson's a hard book to read too. Yeah. I mean, it, he would have chapters that were maybe three or four pages long, and I'd read a chapter and be like, yep, that's it for tonight. My brain's full. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to digest this and, and then read more later. He might be somebody that I, I've let y'all tell me about him, so I didn't have to read. <laughs> and uh, he, he was also the most intimidating person I talked to on the show. Oh, really? Yeah, because when I first contacted, I mean, first of all, the book is you know, as I said, not, not an easy read and it's not because it's poorly written. It's just the concepts are so deep. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh man, am I, you know, is he even going to want to talk to me? And then before agreeing to come on, he, he's like, well, let's talk before we, before I answer you. He's like, I want to get a feel for you and and what you know. And we had a great conversation. It was probably better than the interview, but I was so nervous. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to talk to George Hanson. I am going to I'm going to say something stupid. It's going to happen. You're a paranormal starstruck. <laughs> exactly. Well, and just intimid- and, interviewing you. And, and <laughs> intimidated by how smart the guy really is. I mean, the grasp he has on this stuff. Now, he's also an academic. And it's good to see some of these academics like Kripal and stuff getting into this. Uh, Kenneth Ring as well. There's another one, Kenneth Ring. Uh, who is definitely underappreciated. Um, so many people have just ne- don't e- aren't even aware of things like the Omega Project that he did, but he's done a mm-hmm. whole wealth of stuff out there. A lot of it on near death experiences, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, a lot of really important work. And I think he's just one of those names people just do not know. Yeah, you know, a lot of these people I don't think I ever would have come across had you not brought them up on the show too. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Jeannie Randall's is another one that I, oh, yeah. you know, went back and tracked down books for, cause they're, they're not even in print, uh, in many cases. And yep. it's like, Oh, time storms. Okay. This is awesome. You know, Jenny, Jenny was not afraid to just go out there and throw out interesting concepts, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? So you read her different books and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not necessarily, don't necessarily fit with one another. She's not pushing just one idea in every book. It's what ifs and different ways of looking at the stuff. And yeah, I mean, I guess Jenny fits in that category too, that a lot of people have probably never read her stuff. And some of it is absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mind Monsters, I think has been the, the one that blew me the way the most, where she deals with how consciousness interacts with this stuff and how we may be co-creating some of it. Huh. I haven't read that one. I'll have to go look for it. Um, but that, that sounds like straight up R and Greg Bishop, Sally and everybody else. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I'm glad you brought her up. That's that's another good good uh, name to add to that list of people who are underappreciated. I mean, she's not completely unheard of for most people, but uh, I mean, because she's the one that coined the the Oz factor uh, uh, idea that you know this okay. is this is where you know she she called it the Oz factor when you have that experience where everything goes quiet and you feel sort of out of place in reality. I didn't realize she coined that. Yep, that's her. Oh my gosh! In fact, I think she has a website. Uh, she did it a couple of years ago because I was trying to get get her on the show 
because she kind of resurfaced. Uh, she had been taking care of a family member for a while. She resurfaced, and she has a website that's something like the OzFactor.com or something like that. Uh, if you Google Jenny Randall's website, you probably will find it. And it looks like she was going to do a bunch more stuff, and then uh, I don't think anything's really come of it. Oh. And I only I only heard her do one interview, which uh, was an older investigator, and I, I forget the, who it was exactly. Um, uh, t- uh, Tim, Tim something, man. Yeah, my brain's not cooperating with with remembering names at all. Uh, but it was a great interview, and it sounded like she, again that she was kind of coming out of you know uh, her hiatus into this stuff. But I haven't really heard too much from her, and I tried contacting her and never got a response. So, Katie, I guess we're up to question two for you. Yeah. Okay. So, I work on a college campus, and like a lot of college campuses, um, it's reportedly haunted. So, we have rumors and legends and stories that people are always spreading around about this building or this building and this ghost and whatnot. And I'm not even sure how haunted these buildings really are. But I can't help but wonder if we could potentially, by putting so much stock and like hopes into these places being haunted by perpetuating these legends, are we in fact making these locations potentially more quote unquote haunted? I wanted to know your thoughts about that, like us wanting a place to be haunted so bad that maybe it becomes so. Oh yeah, definitely. Because you're putting energy into the environment anyway, and and colleges are very limited to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a temporary place for people. And then you have the fact that you are, if you're, if you're wanting it to be there, you have that, that the, the, the Philip experiment type of thing going on where you're potentially creating a haunting, especially if you have an urban legend to accompany it. And some of these ghosts have names, Yep. yep. not even of people who actually existed, but we'll just like name the ghost something. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Weatherly talked about a plantation where they had an urban legend of this woman uh, from back in the, when it was a slave, uh, uh, place, you know, when they, when they had, uh, back in the, the, you know, 200 years ago or whatever. And she, there was a whole story about her killing all these people and all this stuff. And people got pictures of this, this apparition and stuff. And, uh, she never existed. Like mm. it, when, when, when people investigated it, they found out this person never existed, but you were getting consistent, uh, pictures of this person. Uh, people were picking up consistent information like psychically about this person without knowing anything about it, but yet there's no evidence this person ever existed. It's pretty much created by our belief in it and probably an area that, you know, was also heavy in energy. Yeah. Was that the, the Myrtle's plantation? Was it might've been. I don't remember. I think, I think it might be. Yeah. Um, and Jenny, yeah, Jenny Randall's site is ozfactorbooks.com. Oh, cool. So it doesn't look like it's been updated much. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. Look at look to this page for news about exciting books coming to this site in 2018. <laughs> Anytime now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it does, it, there's a bunch of stuff on the site about her, why she uh, took a hiatus and stuff like that. Mm. Oh, there's a, there's an email. I don't know if I tried that email. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try that email at some point and see if I get a response. You know, speaking of like universities kind of coming up with these uh, haunted characters or the plantation, I saw something the other day that was talking about why you shouldn't be afraid of like people messing around with magic or curses and things like that. It's kind of interesting that that was the angle they were taking. But what they were really getting to was like most people aren't actually working with the entities that they think they are. 
You're mm. just working with the egregore that was sort of created in place of it. Yeah. Uh, and so you don't have to worry about that near as much as somebody that actually has met, you know, one of these things. And, uh, you know, I mean, an egregore is what I, you know, I, w- I kind of prefer that more than Tulpa these days, to be honest. It's a slightly uh, different concept, though. Slight, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but when you've got like a group of people manifesting something, I always think it's a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know. I think it, it helps with the, the abstractness of it. So, Katie, have you had any experiences while there? <laughs> um, just little things. Um, but I also played with a Ouija board there. And that was, I mean. That's a plus. That, <laughs> that got some results that were pretty weird. But yeah, yeah, you know, I had some experiences there, just like um, sounds knocking on the wall. My husband experienced a whole lot more than I did. Really? He had like footsteps, like running footsteps and laughter in his ear and shadow people, all kinds of stuff. Um, But me, not really so much, just minor things. (laughs) So you're the one more interested in it and you're the one not having the, the laughter in the ear. Correct. (laughs) <laughs> that that's that's appropriate right. you should like incorporate the ouija board into your job like someone comes in like hey where do i go for registration <laughs> i must contact the spirits like okay no i'm good <laughs> yeah i live in alabama so that would not go over well <laughs> they might arrest me or something burn her <laughs> all right matt you're up okay this is another sort of like i guess philosophy type question like given how extremely like intimate and personal so many paranormal experiences are that it's like specifically for that person for their own like growth and development and everything do you think the paranormal should be studied scientifically or would that kind of be missing the point i think studying it like we are to try and maybe figure out what's going on with pk and things like that doesn't take away anything from the personal aspect because it's usually minor stuff we're, we're picking up, but it might help us understand how uh, on a bigger sense, this stuff works. So I don't think there's anything wrong with scientifically studying it, but I don't think you're going to get anything overly useful or anything overly like, uh, I don't want to say conclusive, but like big, like you're not going to get a really big manifestation most of the time. And according to Shirley Black, that even when they did have you know, big PK events, a lot of the researchers didn't, didn't want them. You know, they were like, no, nope, mm-hmm. no, nope, we're having a hard enough time getting the small ones accepted by scientists. We're, we're not even trying with the big ones. So I think, th- mm-hmm. I think there is, there is value in studying them scientifically because eventually it may tell us a little more about how our reality works. Let us in on maybe some of the secrets that we don't already know. Uh, even though a lot of people seem to think we have it all figured out. And then and at the same time, you know, these it's, it's like you're studying the mechanism that gives you the personal experience, I guess, is the way to put it. That makes sense. Like the way, you know, I was thinking about it when I came up with that question, you know, it's like studying this stuff in like scientific laboratory type settings and everything. It just to me felt as like counterintuitive as trying to like mathematically prove that a painting is beautiful. It's like so yeah. like completely outside the point of the question. But the thing is, if we figure out how this stuff works, who knows what other vistas of uh, like 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 information that might open up? Things we never thought about, you know. If we apply how how PK actually works or Psi actually works, and we start looking at it in relation to other systems, we may suddenly be like, "Ooh, wait, can we do this?" You know. Mm-hmm. 
Plus, maybe it'll also help help you know people realize how interconnected we are to our reality and our environment, um, rather than feeling so separated from it. If there's something that flows between us that that doesn't keep us as separate, completely separate entities, um, you know, it's it's there's a connection there. It's kind of kind of like the past life thing. Maybe we'll we'll understand. Oh, we're all connected. Maybe we shouldn't be hurting one another. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I always kind of wonder too where in. in you touched on this some in the part of your answer to Soraya, but you know, we, we kind of lump the paranormal or, or not us, but people outside of our community lump the paranormal all into one bucket. And it seems like, you know, I, I love the way Dr. Kripal and folks are looking at a lot of these experiences through the humanities. Yeah. And then, you know, something like you're saying PK, it makes sense to try and look at that in a scientific environment because it seems maybe something that is closer to our understanding of physical reality we can look at versus, you know, uh, meeting some house. Yeah, a haunted house. And like, you know, even just trying to divest ourselves of the notions of ghosts, you know, like, does this ghost necessarily mean that it was somebody that lived here 100 years ago or what? All we know is that there's activity happening and, you know, there there's laughter in your ear and things like that. So how do we figure that out? Or, you know, some of these encounters with uh, things people call aliens and it's baffling and makes no sense at all and completely irrational and full of high strangeness, you know? So the, the other thing with, uh, with PK is that in doing these, these type of very sensitive laboratory experiments, we see how much of an influence uh, through PK, through Psy, that the people doing the experiments have on what they're finding. You know, there's, it's very, you, know, you see a very, dis- they, they find a very distinct uh, and it's not like a, an unconscious bias or anything like that. It's if the researcher knows the answer to whatever the person is, you know, is trying to resolve, uh, the person then has a better chance of actually getting the information, if, even if it's randomized and all this other stuff. But it, it, it brings into question how much, when we do any kind of laboratory research, how much of the data is being influenced by us on the the psi level that you know we're getting conc- you know these these repeated results because we think we're supposed to get these repeated results mm. and we just don't realize that we're sub you know we're using this ability to kind of manipulate reality a little and turn it into what we think we're supposed to be finding i mean that goes back to seth who said your expectations create your outcome right right so it's uh, you know, that's why why I say like studying in a lab might give us you know more insight into other stuff if we allow it to. Mm. Currently, we're not going to let that happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what are we back to, Saxon? Yeah, yeah. Um. So so kind of keeping on with some of these different figures we've talked about. Um. You know, I was curious. You know, if you were able to say learn magical practices from you know anybody you know crowley john d uh, austin osmond spar who who would you pick oh. uh, and why would that be an influence that you would want to work with if you don't mind answering all that I don't, I don't i don't know if i have a good answer for that i mean crowley for, for all of the the stuff he read he, he doesn't seem like somebody i'd necessarily want to hang around <laughs> right right um spare uh maybe i don't really know enough about spare to say whether or not i'd like to to be around him more mm-hmm. um i'm not sure there's the you know say the same with like kenneth grant like kenneth grant's really interesting but i don't think i'd want to learn any you know like have him teach me stuff i bet he seems a little 
little off kilter sometimes. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have a good answer for that one. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anyone that I would I would specifically be like, oh, I wish this person could tutor me. Right, right. Plus, so I, 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 I've I, also I, I've, I've also ahead. found that you know following my own instincts on this stuff works better than anything that I followed by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, you know, like. Uh, you know, obviously, like uh, since we've been talking about the Collins lead, I got a little fascinated with Jack Parsons again because he was such just a crazy character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but don't necessarily want to like go hang out with Jack Parsons. You right. Know? Yeah. Some of these people are fascinating, but I wouldn't necessarily want to be friends with them. Right. Right. It's like if I could have Greg Bishop interview Jack Parsons, that would work. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> hear what they say. Huh, that would be interesting. I mean, I totally love to interview any of these people. It would, it would I'd be intimidated, in, uh, I think, interviewing Crowley mm-hmm. because who knows where that would go. Let's say he would take it whatever direction he felt was the most like unsettling for people listening. I think just because that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would get much value out of the interview because it would be a lot of him messing with me, asking him questions. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> All right. Let's all be thankful Crowley wasn't around during the internet. <laughs> oh God! <Yes>. <laughs> uh, Imagine there, his Twitter. There, 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 there is that uh, movie that Bruce Dickinson wrote. It's called Crowley. Are you any of you aware of this? Nope. No, I don't Do, think so. It is awful. It is <laughs> absolutely awful. So Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden made this movie called Crowley. I think there's another title for it too. Uh, and it's about like the, the, they, they have this artificial intelligence and as they're researching the artificial intelligence, they, they put all of Crowley's writings into it and oh it manages to basically become Crowley and then escape from the machine. It's being the consciousness escapes from the machine it's in and it is awful. What? It's a very low budget movie and like, it's, it's funny. Cause I mean, you would think with Bruce Dickinson making it, it would have, it would have, you know, been more, gotten a little more press, but I think people realize, wow, this is bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm looking at some stuff. So it was, here's an article on it from, uh, December, 2006. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. But you know, here's the crazy thing. You know, we've talked about digital egregores in the show. Like at, at this point, messing around with AI and some things I'm like, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if you plug all that stuff in, you could, you could interact with something that knew Crowley stuff inside and out, you know, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. still wouldn't be Crowley. You know, even if you t- took the huge volumes of stuff he's written, it's still not, you know, it's never going to be the person. Oh, but it would pretend to be Crowley just to mess with you for a bit. I think. <laughs> uh, all right, Katie, you're up. Okay. So this, is not a question I had planned, but okay. it's something that came up last weekend. So I thought I would share here and get your thoughts. So I was in a Lyft ride, you know, like Uber, but Lyft. Yeah, yeah. And my Lyft driver, I was telling her I was in town for a, a horror movie convention. And so my Lyft driver said she does not mess with horror movies because that stuff comes out of the TV. And she proceeded to tell a story about one night her kids were watching a movie um, and she said, that's not a scary movie, is it? And the kids were like, no, it's not. And so they, you know, later they all went to bed and she kept getting woken up by strange noises in the apartment. Anyway, long story short, the next morning she asked her kids, what were you really watching last night? And they admitted they were watching The Exorcist. 
um, and you know the the sounds and things she heard in her apartment sounded very like stereotypical cliche paranormal experience. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting because she didn't have that bias of knowing that a scary movie had been watched in her house that night. Anyway, so a do you think things can quote unquote come out of the TV depending on you know what sort of media is being consumed? And B, have you ever had something? come out of the TV? B, I don't think so. A, I definitely think if something is affecting you emotionally, it's sort of coming out of the TV. So if her her kids were scared by the exorcist, they may have been giving off just enough energy for a little bit of poltergeist activity to kick up. I love that. I didn't even think about that. That is a great point. For for some reason, it, it pops a memory I almost forgot about um, when I was a kid watching, it must've been, yeah, it was the, the Friday the 13th three, the 3d one, me and a friend were watching it. My brother, who was a few years younger is like kind of standing in the hallway, sort of watching, but he's not, he's not sure he wants to watch. And it was right by the basement, uh, stairs and my mom's office was in the basement and my mom starts walking up the stairs and he just starts screaming and <laughs> runs away. <laughs> So he was right on that tense thing. And as soon as he heard footsteps, he was just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, I think in a sense, anything that, that moves you emotionally can, it's sort of coming out of the TV. It doesn't have to be negative. I don't think any, right. any girl from a well is climbing through your TV set anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the stuff can affect you. When All you right. said she said things come out of the TV, I thought you meant like she just watched The Ring and thought it was a documentary. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. I kept yeah. thinking like poltergeist where that like hand comes out of the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, sir. Oh, I'm, 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 you know, I mean, when you think about white noise and stuff from old TVs, I mean, that that's something that if you just sat there and stared at it, you might have some kind of vision of something coming out of the TV. Like scrying, but with static. Yeah, exactly. You know, that reminds me of, uh, of uh, oh, I forget the character in the Matrix that was always the one that stayed on the ship that betrayed them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Looking at the code scrolling by, and he's like, you know, after a while, you actually start to see the things in the code. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Cypher. Cypher, yes. There we go. Yeah. You know, uh, with the, the things coming out of the TV, I always wondered not coming out of the TV, but sort of a connected element of that is especially with kids where they have the situations of seeing their like toys playing at night. Mm-hmm. There's so many stories like that where, you know, my, you know, tickle me Elmo would get up and dance in the room to entertain mm-hmm. me, you know, at night and stuff like that. And, you know, it, and, and a lot of that stuff sounds really creepy now, but you could tell that the person that had the experience during the time, it was, you know, completely benign, yeah. fine, nothing scary about it. But, you know, it goes back to that sort of like the emotional qualities that you have uh, as a young person um, because that you, that's where your poltergeist activity overlaps too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, cool. and, and, you know, you're a kid, you tell your parents, Oh, my Omo came to life and danced for me. And they'll be like, that's nice, honey. And then after a while, you know, they start telling either you get the message that they don't believe you or they flat out tell you, now that's just your imagination. That's not really happening. And then they eventually right. they just start blocking that stuff out. Saxon, yeah. with what you were saying about just, you know, the kids treating it as normal or even positive experiences where we hear that and think it's creepy. 
I wonder like how much of that has to do with just how like culturally conditioned we are through media to associate so much of this phenomena with horror stories. Like it's not creepy in and of itself. It's just that like the popular perception shaped through our media is that it only occurs in those types of stories. That's a good point. Right. I think that's a great point because, you know, it's when you tell those stories, you're intentionally taking something that is innocent and twisting it into something sinister. You know, you get a a real macabre effect from that. And uh, yeah, I, I I think that's a good call out, Matt. Um, oh my gosh, there was something in my head that was related to that. I was trying. Oh yeah, it was it was back to the uh, that encounters documentary. Somebody makes a point in there of talking about how you know the phenomena is either portrayed as alien invaders, kind of like something we talked about earlier, or our space brothers. And you know why is it only those two things that we have the options to choose from? Yeah. And so, you know, all of us, you know, we, we have the E.T. story from when we were kids, but most of media around anything from beyond is uh, scary. You know, yes. it's Geiger's alien or it's fire in the sky or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, automatically, like uh, it was uh, uh, Dr. Newth. Kevin Newth, is that right? I probably got his name wrong, but uh, he's in there a couple of times and he brings that up and he he makes a comment in there. Oh, my gosh. Hopefully I can pull my brain together with this of maybe we don't really want to find out about this stuff. And that's why we tell ourselves those stories, because it's easier than dealing with what it actually is. Mm. You know, outside of the, you know, propaganda and influence mm-hmm. campaigns yeah. and have you, but. You know, this is also a defense mechanism for our own egos, basically. Well, it may also be that uh, we, we, we can't quite process it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, you know, you have that Lovecraft quote that the that, that f- fear of the unknown is like the oldest fear of mankind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And despite people insisting they know one way or the other, you know, you have on the extreme one side, people insisting that none of this stuff happens. None of this stuff is real. Uh, and then people on the other side who have who will give you a list of all the star systems, all the different aliens come from, uh, <laughs> and have it all figured out. I think that that all comes back to partially a little bit of that fear of the unknown. I, I think so, I as, think as so. well as maybe a little ego, a little ego, and then also the phenomena maybe catering you know, being a trickster again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, are we up to? Oh, actually, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Quick mid-show break here. Uh, first contact info, everything Where Did the Road Go related can be found at wheredidtheroadgo.com. All our social media links, addresses, email addresses, everything is right there. You can also become a patron. It's only $3 a month as it has been since the start. No, uh, no raising prices on my end. Uh, and it gets you extra content every month. Uh, a bunch of extra content pretty much every week. And some special surprises here and there. So uh, help us out, become a patron. It means a lot to keeping this show going. All right. Um, my recommendation this week is something I can't, a podcast I can't believe I didn't recommend already, uh, but it's not on my list as I'm, I'm trying to update that list every time I make you a recommendation so I don't recommend the same things over and over. Uh, the Magnus Archives. This one took me a little bit to get into. A damn, is it good. Um, and it is a, it is, has an arc story that they actually come to a conclusion with. It is, it is some dark stuff and it's, it's a horror podcast, fiction, audio fiction. 
And if you like like horror and you like really dark horror, that's that's the one to listen to. That one is wow. It starts off uh, as as this place, this this archive, Magnus Archives, uh, I guess, um, where they're collecting weird stories. But over time, they start seeing patterns in the stories, and that's when things start getting really interesting. So I definitely recommend it. It had a great run. It ended cool, and. Uh, it's very unique. So that's my recommendation for this week. The Magnus Archives. That's M-A-G-U-S Archives. All right. Back to the show. Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee, and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Shelslin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Wayland, Brent Rains, Joshua Cutchen, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Goulias, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Samwitzki, Soraya Azkap, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. All right, you're listening to Where Did the Road Go? And I have uh, Super Saxon Man. Um, I have the guy who named Super Saxon Man, Super Saxon Man, and Matt Festa. Hello, hello. And uh, Katie of the Night. Hi. And Katie has a YouTube channel called Katie of the Night, and Matt has Tiamat's Garden, uh, where all his artwork is. So if you actually, if you Google Tiamat's Garden, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff comes up, Matt. <laughs> mm hmm. But it's yeah, Tiamat, you know, been a goddess for whatever, like 6,000 years. Like the first thing that comes up when you Google her is like Dungeons and Dragons and Final Fantasy. <laughs> but if you if had to find her way back into the world, <laughs> you know, if you Google um, Tiamat's Garden Instagram, you can see a bunch of Matt's artwork. Soon to be featured on the cover of a certain book. That is true. Um, yeah, I, I almost asked you if I could share it on the video I did, but I figured we'll hold it off because I'm not done with it. I'm not done with the book. And as I told you, you're going to have the cover done before I have the book done. And I was worried about not having the cover done in time. Yeah. <laughs> told you. I know how my life goes. <laughs> not, not smoothly or fast. Um, but I mean, the book is almost done. I mean, and, and you're doing the cover actually kind of, kind of helped, uh, push me toward getting the book done. Honestly. Uh Glad it could help. Like, oh, now I want people to see the cover. I hope they like the book, too. But, man, I want people to see the cover. Jeez, you are, like, so overselling that cover, man. I'm, I'm Like, really I am not. glad you're that happy with it, but, dude. You, 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 I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be awesome, because I've seen your art, too. So you, you took, without even knowing it, you gave it a feel of one of my favorite album covers of all time. And you incorporated so many little details that I never even would have thought about and uh, really just homogenize that that entire first part of the book into a cover that worked perfectly including details i had to cover up because you didn't tell me you were joking yeah there was that <laughs> so i'm 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 in the i still feel bad about that i'm in the cover <laughs> and or on the on the in the image and uh what, what did you say you you were gonna so like 
I think when did it start? Like it was still just the penciling when I was showing you like how you were positioned in that. Yeah. And like, I can't remember which one of us initially said something about like what should be on your shirt or something like that. Because I think you suggested Voivod because Voivod. Oh, for right. Some- I was going to have you in a Voivod shirt because you always mentioned like how much, like how big of an impact they've had on you over the years. Well, it, not so much even that. I mean, I, I really, they did have a, an impact on me, but they pop, like, I'll be in a dream in a record store always looking for Voivod stuff. And I'm just like, why Voivod? Like, of all things. So, yeah, you said Voivod, and I said, and I think I said something like, you know, just have it oh, be yeah, Shadow. Oh, yeah, you said you should be in Shadow, and I'm like, I haven't heard of that band. Like, you shouldn't sent me, like, the logo and everything. So I'm like, okay, and I drew that logo onto your shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're laughing now. And then, like, when I sent you the updated photo of, like, you, like, fully drawn and everything like that, you're like, what's written on my shirt? And I'm like, what do you mean what's written on your shirt? This was your idea. I mean, I meant just Shadow. It's just, but when you said you'd never heard of that band, I'm like, you've never heard of a band called Shadow? And I just grabbed a a Shadow CD and sent you the logo. Well, yeah, because, like, I had asked, like, I instantly went on, you know, Encyclopedia Mattel, and I'm like, okay, there's 50 bands named Shadow. Which one do you mean? And then you sent me that photo of an album. I'm like, okay, so, like, I'll go with that logo. I, w- I was being facetious. I thought you were being facetious when you were asking about the band not and not realizing you misunderstood what I was saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's an awesome cover. Who are okay. we up to? Let's Who- see. Am I last? I don't uh, remember. Matt, are you after Katie or am I? I, th- I, think, I think it's Matt. I think it's my Matt. turn. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me look at my list of questions. Unprepared. Okay. So, hi. Oh, well, I got, so I got them all flustered talking about the cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So this one, I'm like still not sure like how the best way to phrase it, because like I wrote it down and it's so rambling. Like when we talk or at least like people in our realm of considering these things, when we discuss the paranormal, we talk about like how so much of it is like all the same sort of thing, just presenting itself in different ways, whether it's, you know, poltergeist, UFO, whatnot. But like, even when we put all the things under that one umbrella of just like different manners in which it can manifest, it still seems like there are two very different ways in which people interact with it. Like there is the group of things where it's so much more of like a passive natural phenomena, like you're just coming across different aspects of nature, whereas there are others where it's a very obvious like intelligence that you're interacting with. And I was wondering if like, just like where you think that distinction would come in or if it's even valuable to think about it all under the same, like just overarching term of paranormal as a singular phenomena or like just in general, what you think about that. That's a really good question. Uh, see, you undersell yourself. You were all like, I don't have very good questions. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, thank you. Good night. I'm out. <laughs> so the, uh, <laughs> like my work here is done. The, the more natural stuff. I mean, uh, so you're talking like environmental type of stuff that just affects us. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, to use Josh's terms, like an ecology of all this stuff, there's like so many things that like people will come across that it's like, it's just a much more passive thing. Like, you know, maybe this is a terrible metaphor, but like you're walking through the woods of your life and you kind of like just the spiritual equivalent of like an earthquake or something where it's right. like, yeah, right. a big dramatic thing, but it's like not aimed at you. Whereas other like big dramatic stuff. things. Yeah. With like a very definite, like intelligence behind it where there's like this reciprocal relationship with it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's why the, the, the non autobiographical book I'm working on 
kind of tries to break this down where it's like, okay, yes, there are these similarities, but there's a lot of factors there. So yeah, there's natural environmental stuff that can cause us to have experiences. And then you can combine that with sensitive people, um, liminal time spaces, uh, maybe the action of an other uh, in certain locations uh, that's not related to the environment. Because, uh, you know, maybe some of this stuff comes and goes, like it gets closer to us and, and more perceptible and then stops being such in certain locations. So, whereas there might just be certain locations that have a lot of energy. So I think you, you end up with a, with common threads like poltergeist activity, like lights, but you could have a whole host of things that create similar phenomena. So a ghost, for example, could be poltergeist phenomena. It could be a residual thing that anyone in the right place and time could see. It could be an actual spirit. It could be an actual dead person. Um, it could be a, a, a tulpa of some sort or an egregore. Um, and I'm sure there's probably a dozen more things that I'm not thinking of at the moment or that we just don't even have concepts for yet that could all make us say, oh, we saw a ghost. But mm -hmm. some of them would be active. Some of them would be more natural. But to us, they all kind of appear the same way. Mm. Um, it's, it's like, it's like uh, to use a music metaphor, you know, you, you, you say to someone, oh, you listen to metal and they go, I've never, I, you know, I've never heard metal. I've never heard anything metal before. And then you play them, I don't know, uh, two, two different metal bands that sound completely different. And they go, oh yeah, no, yeah, this sounds like that other band. And it's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't sound anything like that other band other than the fact that there are loud guitars. So maybe when we're having these experiences, we just don't have the finesse to understand, oh, these are two completely different sources. They just kind of look the same to our uh, under-experienced brains. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you, if you take Death Angel... They don't, they don't sound like Nightwish. Yeah. But they're both metal bands. Or like Ghost and Gargaroth. It's like two very different <laughs> things going on there. Right. But, you know, to, to a lot of people, you know, they hear heavy guitars or whatever, and they're like, oh, yeah, this sounds the same. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. You know, even that, you know, even stuff that's similar doesn't necessarily sound the same when you have an ear for it. You know, when you, when you really know what you're listening to, it's like, uh, you know, having any particular skill, one person may look at, 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 a, at something a carpenter has done and be like, oh yeah, that's good. But a, another carpenter can look at it and see it in a completely different way because they're seeing details that the average person wouldn't even notice. So I think when, again, when we're encountering these paranormal things, because they're so rare, none of us really have that expertise level of experiencing it. So we don't notice necessarily the fine details and the, and the slight differences that might be there, might be prevalent if we experienced them more regularly, or if there was some mm -hmm. way to to understand what we were looking at. And it's so subjective that I don't know that that's something we can do. Mm. Was that a, was that an okay answer? It was adequate, I guess. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, did it did it answer what you were asking? Yeah, like definitely a lot to think about. I see where you're coming from with that, and like, I mean, you know, again, these are just like really broad philosophy questions yeah, I'm yeah. coming up with. I don't expect you to have like. The definitive answer. No, that was the definitive answer. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're done. We can Look we can we can now stop talking Show's about over. paranormal stuff forever. I just solved it this all. Is the last episode. <laughs> the road has ended. There you go. <laughs> we, we found the end of the road. Way to say that. <laughs> it ends with Matt. <laughs> all right, so we're up to Saxon, I think. Yeah, and you know, I'm actually going to kind of kind of build off of Matt's question. Actually, I, I'd written this down as as kind of an aside, and I was like, no, this is kind of perfect now. 
um, you know, uh, of all of the popular, you know, encounters, events, what have you that, you know, most of us are familiar with, um, if there was an experience that you could point someone to that is not as familiar with, you know, the, the, the diversity uh, of thought that we have about these things, what experience or event or encounter or whatever would you choose to direct them towards? It kind of be like, this encompasses a lot of the weirdness or this encompasses, uh, you know, lots of different aspects of what we, you know, how this is not the typical UFOs or flat or, you know, uh, nuts and bolts. And I almost that. thought you were going to say flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> thought about it. Um, Mothman. Mothman. Um, and- I thought you might say that to actually. <laughs> Huh? I actually thought you might say that. Well, because it has such a, a, a vast array of different things going on. Um, I would also, you know, say like Hunt for the Skinwalker, even though there's mm-hmm. there's a little bit of question if they were doing some psyops on these people too. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there's enough genuine phenomena there that, and it's so broad and different all the way across the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah, those, I just, those two situations would be the ones, you know, that I would point someone to and be like, look, you know, I mean, there's... There's such a vast array of things here. You can't just say this is one thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with Mothman, Mothman prophecies, I saw the Richard Gere movie before I had read the book. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, this is, I mean, I probably saw it not too long after it came out on, you know, DVD or whatever. And, um, but I was familiar with like the general account mm-hmm. of people seeing a, a flying red eyed thing, but I didn't know all of the other experiences kill or Darren Berger or, or anybody else was having around there. Just the, the immediate, you know, uh, folks that saw Mothman at the TNT facility there. Yeah. Um, and so the way the movie tried to capture the weirdness of it all kind of confused me at the time because I was like, why are they making this more of an abstract thing? Like, I thought this was about a flying man that was gray and scared people. Um, but after go ahead, Matt. Well, I was going to say like, that's actually exactly what I was thinking. Cause like the main reason I want to point people towards the Mothman prophecies is because Mm -hmm. I am like just endlessly frustrated with the internet's concept of mothman being a literal moth person cryptid yeah, right. and like not having any understanding of like the entire constellation of phenomena that was surrounding this event right right and it, you know it made the movie better now to me after i read the book and right. you got like you know kill walking through areas on the road where he feels like perilous fear and then he steps back and it all goes away and mm-hmm. All of the harassing phone calls and, you know, injured cold. And I mean, all of this stuff is just it's uh, it's such a, a cool book, even if you weren't as into the paranormal, just to read it as like, uh, you know, kind of Kolchak, the Night Stalker adventure story. It's like, man, this is insane. And it's yes. awesome. <laughs> it's just a really fun book to read. Yeah. 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 That's because that's because Keel on top of everything else was a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. You know, and that's that's unfortunately not something all paranormal investigators are. Sometimes you read the books and you're like, okay, there's a lot of interesting data here, but they don't know how to tell a story with it. Right. And they're yeah. not really necessarily trying to tell a story. They're just trying to, you know, make their point. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Or just write in general, because there are so many paranormal books I've read where like, yes, you are brilliant. These are incredible ideas, but my God, hire an editor. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, 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 there's that. Yeah. Well, you know, my my secret dream is for somebody to do a Netflix show about Keel, starting with yeah. his adventures that led to Jadu, and just go through his life like a uh, Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think because it would be like Indiana Jones crossed with Kolchak. I'm like, this would be awesome. <laughs> and and you know, even if you look at at Streber's stuff, it's not all UFOs. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to look. You know, you're not going to necessarily get that just from Communion. You know. Whereas if you read the Mothman prophecies, it's not just a cryptid. It's not just UFOs. It's, it's poltergeists. It's, it's, you know, just, and some of it, you know, you don't know like any of this stuff. You don't know if it's legit, you know, how, how much of this was, uh, was it Mosley that was messing with Keel every once in a while, mm-hmm. you know, with some of the prank calls and stuff, um, you know, it's, it's, there's always that, tri- that, that human trickster element that you have to have to work out too. But, uh, Overall, you know, the stuff for the most part probably happened just like Keel said it did. Yeah. Well, I mean, poor Woody Derenberger, like, um, you know, he went off uh, pretty far places in his mind trying to cope with what was going on with him, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's some very interesting stuff. And, you know, it, the fact you bring up Streber is good, too, because, you know, if you know Communion, especially if you just know the movie, you don't know about really it kind of gets to it. But all of the deceased persons and things like that, oh, that yeah. showed up, yeah. you know, it, that's, that's not quite in there. And well, he, he you know, left once it, you start looking at this stuff, you're like, man, this is all over it. He left it out of his initial experience, even though he, he was, uh, I think uh, a friend of his who he didn't know was dead. I don't think he knew he was dead was at, was in, you know, in with these aliens in one of his first encounters. And he left it out because he's like, no one's going to believe me. Yeah. He's like, yeah. it makes it sound even crazier. I'm not putting that in there. And it was only after Anne started saying, you know, look, there's so many, so many of these that it has to have something to do with what we call death that mm-hmm. he was willing to come out and be like, okay, so the thing I left out. Yeah. That's why I always like to think of communion and transformation as just like one singular work because like. As great as communion is, it is really incomplete without yes. all of that follow-up stuff. Yeah, and I and yeah, absolutely. I really like transformation as well. Some of the other ones are hit and miss. Um, I've never been able to decide what I think about the key. Uh, I think it's interesting, <laughs> but like as far as its validity, I, I I just I don't know what to make of it. I still haven't read that one. So, all right, are we up to Katie? Yes. Yeah. Okay, Soraya, I know that you you may or may not hang out in graveyards sometimes. <laughs> um, I do have a propensity for that. I also, I follow a channel on YouTube that conducts paranormal investigations in graveyards only. And several years ago, I heard someone say that graveyards aren't haunted because there's a lack of a human presence there. So there aren't people there. And if they had this theory that graveyards aren't haunted because there aren't humans occupying that space. However, um, I know that graveyards can be considered a liminal space, which may be more prone to having activity. So what are your thoughts on on well, paranormal activity in cemeteries? Was it was it the the people who investigate in cemeteries saying there wasn't any? I can't even remember. I think I like saw it on a, a paranormal documentary on TV okay. like years ago. Okay. Someone was like, "Oh, you know, cemeteries don't tend to be haunted." So I, you know, in the vast amount of cemeteries I've been to, only a few of them have been weird, and they're usually the old ones, which sounds very mm-hmm. Lovecraftian. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> I, I often, you know, like it comes down to that that idea of sacred spots. So if you're, you know, not not in our modern culture, and you say, well, we need a place to bury bury our loved ones, you pick a sacred spot, and that sacred spot's probably sacred because stuff happens there, and that becomes the cemetery or the graveyard. Modern day, we just say. We need a graveyard. Where do we have space? Well, we'll put it there. Right. So you you may have in some of these older graveyards the fact that they were energy spots. Plus, you're you're you have a lot of residual energy, I would think, uh, from people mourning. You know, that that's a heavy amount of energy when you're you put you know when you're burying somebody. Um, and of course, some energy put into it from people going there, going, it's a graveyard. It must be haunted. Mm-hmm. And so you also have the expectation and the liminality. Um, the, the ones here that I've uh, had weird stuff happen in, the the one in Ithaca is directly in the center of Ithaca, but it's a very old graveyard. Saxon, you went to that one with me, right? Yep, that's the one. Uh, you had the Shadow Man experience there, right? Yes. Yeah. With the odd fellows out there too, yeah. Yep, and that's, you know, there's there's a uh, a creek that runs right down the middle of it. So you also have the, the idea of running water creating energy. Uh, but it's also liminal in the fact that it sits between Cornell University and the and the city of Ithaca. So on the bottom part of the graveyard, you're in it in the city, and in the top, you're in Cornell, and it's on a hill. So there's a lot of liminal stuff going on there. Like I said, it's very old. I think it was the first cemetery in Ithaca. So again, it may have been picked uh, for reasons that we just don't know. Yeah. And uh, there there's a Buddhist temple in Ithaca, and uh, it is I forget that I forget the details. It's been a while since I looked it up, but Ithaca is considered the third most powerful energy spot on the planet, according to them. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So I mean, who knows why? I don't think they've ever you know published much about it. Uh, but the other ones, the one was a Potter's Field, which also went back really really far. Uh, back to like the 1700s or stuff. Both of these have Civil War graveyards. And, uh, you know, with a potter's field, you got something different going on because you probably don't have a lot of mourners and stuff. But it's just, you know, it could be just the location in general is odd. Um, And maybe the fact that these people didn't have anyone who, uh, you know, was there when they died, when may have left some kind of weird energy in in the area as well. That place has never felt sinister, though. That place has always felt really pleasant to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the latest one, which I'm now learning is called the Alpine portal, which is the, the cemetery we tried to go to when you were here and my car kept overheating. Yeah. Um, uh, and that one again is very, very old, but apparently the whole area is just steeped in weirdness. So yeah. that's the one we went to with Natalie the next time I came, right? Or yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one? right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which I still haven't put the video up for because I haven't had time to edit all the stuff in I want to do. Because I have a video from the friend, or my friend Keith, who told me about the place uh, from yeah. like a year earlier, and a bunch of pictures. So I want to sit down and kind of just weave it all together, and I just have not had the time or energy to do it. Um, so I have I have that yet to come. That'll be put up on the YouTube when I get a chance to do it. Um, but again, it wasn't really a spooky place, other than the fact that there was just no sound. Yeah, yeah, that it did not feel creepy, but yeah, there was no sound. But, you know, it, I know this is where you're going to some degree, too, because, you know, sometimes cemeteries end up being places for people to gather that don't quite fit in anymore. Uh, one way or the other, you know, either you're in high school hanging out. One of the uh, my, my favorite stories that was sort of a counter on the uh, Robert Johnson legend was 
he and I forget who he actually learned to play guitar from would practice in the cemetery at night because that was a safe place for them to be. And they didn't have to worry about running into people that didn't appreciate persons of color around and those kinds of things. And there's also a little hoodoo to that of, you know, the ancestors making you better. But that's a really positive spin on you know, Robert Johnson versus Crossroads and selling your soul at midnight kind of thing to the devil. True. Um, but there's there's been a lot of graveyards I've gone to there. I don't. There's nothing really weird about them. Like I've never been in them and been like, oh no, that's creepy. I mean, there's been a ton of them because I just like mm-hmm. I like looking at some of the the sculptures and stuff like that. I've done a lot of uh, graveyard photography, and mm-hmm. more often than not, yeah, I don't really think graveyards are haunted. But I think certain locations are that happen to also be graveyards. You know, like with the Alpine. That makes a lot of sense. The Alpine Portal thing, I think it's that whole area. It just happens that there's a, a cemetery, an old cemetery in disrepair in the middle of it. I don't think that there are dead people there going, oh, you let our graves fall apart. Uh, you know, I think when you're dead, you have better things to do than yeah, hang I mean, around it a makes graveyard. Sense that, like, sorry, I was going to say, it, like, it makes sense that there would be like things happening that you would encounter there that are like not necessarily associated with the people that are buried there. Cause like, if you think of like a really weird analogy, like if you go to a junkyard, yeah, you can run into a lot of people doing things there, but you're not going to run into traffic. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, interestingly, I find that like, so the, the, the haunted one in Ithaca, uh, a lot of people will jog through because of its location. Um, so you got a lot of joggers, dog walkers. If you go there during the day, you're almost certainly going to run into people just kind of like randomly walking through. There's also a, lo- a whole bunch of houses right on the, it, like part of the graveyard driveway is also a driveway f- that leads to where all these houses are. So, which makes it even more liminal. Um, mm. And like, there's a big one in Rochester, Mount Hope, where we shot some of um, uh, gateways to Magonia and never had anything weird happen there. Like it's a huge graveyard, but again, you have people who just go jogging through it. You know, like every time we've been there, we've run into people just kind of walking through the graveyard, walking their dogs, jogging, etc. So I don't know if that makes a difference, but I mean, in a sense, there's a lot of people there, you know, they may, they're just not mourners per se, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, most of them, there's, there's another one in Ithaca called Lakeview. It's a very nice graveyard. Nothing weird's ever happened there. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that no graveyards are haunted. I just don't know if they're haunted because they're graveyards. It makes sense. I like that. I didn't think about location. And we are out of time. So Katie, people can find you. On YouTube, just type in Katie of the Night, and that's K-A-T-I-E. And Mr. Matt Festa? You can find me on Instagram, Tiamat's Garden. Is there anything else? Also Facebook. It's the same thing posted in both places. Oh, okay. All right. And Super Saxon Man? You know, I, I'm around here, and you can probably find me on Instagram, too, but but under Super Inframan oh. instead of Super Saxon Man. I need to fix that. I, I feel like I offend Matt if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do some art of, like, you and Super Inframan doing the fusion dance. There we go. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, thank all three of you. I think this, I think this went well. It was a blast. Thank you, Soraya. I want to give a shout-out here to all of my patrons. It is because of you that this show is possible. And I want to give a shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Biluminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaia Quinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, 
Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Legend of the Crazy Incommunicable, CJ, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Matthew, Andrew Malone, Stacy Sherwood, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, a crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. There is a Patreon-only segment, of course, to this show that uh, patrons will get in a few days. And uh, if you want to become a patron, it's only three bucks, three dollars, that's it. And it helps out the show immensely, and you get extra content regularly, every week. And uh, sometimes more than once a week. All right, uh... As far as Albatwitch went, man, I got down there at three. It was uh, it had been raining all day. There were not a lot of people there, and everyone started packing up by four. So I was there for about an hour, but uh, got to meet a few cool listeners and have some nice conversations with them. So I very much enjoyed that. Gave out some free copies of the documentary that um, Chris did on the show, and uh, that will be available eventually in other forms. We also have a cool swap cast coming up with uh, Strange Familiars. It will probably be the next show, hopefully. And uh, that one was, was absolutely awesome, as you will see. We're here, I guess. Okay, I want to welcome a couple of new patrons this week. Uh, Matthew and Short-Sighted Farseer. I hope you guys enjoy the content. Um, and there's lots more to come. All right, to take you out, I'm going to go with some very old Psyche Corporation, one of her first songs. This is Morpheus version 2.1, and I will see you next time.
listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>